This is the Press Box. I never realized how boring this game is. Tyler Bischoff. Expired. 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 Adam Candy. I have literally no idea what happens in Candy's Breeze. I've just been told that it's good. On ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Candy is in today for Ed Graney. But more importantly, the Raiders are still alive in the final week of the season. The first bite. Do you believe in the Raiders? I do not. And Adam, I need you to help me here. How does this team keep winning? Like, what do, what have they done well the last three weeks? Or help, like, the entire season. Like, what is this team good at? How are they 9-7 and seven and in a winner-take-all game in Week 18 to go to the playoffs? How dare you on a victory Monday? <laughs> I can't believe you. What are they good at? I don't know. Well... They're very good at, especially in the last couple of weeks, uh, finding a quarterback that they can beat. Um, (laughs) They were very good at locating themselves a Nick Mullins and then a Drew Locke and then a a Carson Wentz who, I mean, you know what I think of Carson Wentz in the first place, but he also hadn't practiced all week and came out and looked very Carson Wentz-y. So, you know... (sighs) I have no idea how they've won nine games. And you can't just say it's the schedule, right? By by pro football focus, they have faced the 11th most difficult schedule in the league. They've beaten some teams that we thought they had no business beating, right? In week one, we thought they had no business beating the Ravens. And they won in Dallas against the Cowboys. And now they went and won against a team that, Tyler, you and I love our analytics. No one is more excited about the Colts than the analytics. So I don't get it. Is this just <laughs> the most elaborate Raiders setup for their fans that they have ever put together oh, that's, so that they that's can go lose next week? No, no, that's disappointing, Adam. You got to be excited. They're going to play the biggest game. Oh, of the oh, oh, I have yes. to be excited. Right. You're yes. the one who's out here saying they're terrible. I didn't say that. Victory Monday. I just said, how how are they winning? Because I, okay. No, I don't know. I, honestly, I, I really don't know. Okay. And also, like, they're minus 68 point differential this year. The only AFC teams that are worse than that are the Jags, the Jets, the Texans, and the Steelers, right? Neither pro football focus or DVOA have the Raiders top half in offense or defense. They're not top half in points scored this year. They're not top half in points allowed this year. Like they there's nothing that suggests this team is good except for the fact that they are 9 and 7 and that if they beat the Chargers on Sunday, they're 10 and 7 and they're going to the playoffs for the second time in 18 years. I just it's like the only thing that I've come up with and, and it goes into what you said about playing bad quarterbacks. The last 3 weeks, they've been pretty point suppression. They've been pretty good at not allowing points. I don't know that the defense has necessarily played well in those games, but they haven't given up points. They haven't even really forced many turnovers in those games either. Have they forced any turnovers the last three weeks? It might be zero, but like they they don't give up a lot of points. So the offense only has to score 17 or yesterday 23. And it's allowed Derek Carr to be bad for basically 80% of games. But as long as he puts together two, maybe three good drives, the Raiders win. And that's sort of like the other part of this is like Derek Carr. Like what's, what's happening here? Like, I don't like neither of us believe in clutch, but like we have 
a pretty big sample size, not just this year, but over his career where he might not play well for a very long period of time. But if, but as long as he's down by three or four or seven with like four minutes to go and he gets the ball, they're, they're probably going to tie or win the game with Derek Carr. He's Bakersfield tough. <laughs> um, look at the quarterbacks they've beaten this year. To go back to your first point, let's look at the quarterbacks they've beaten this year so far. Okay, they beat Lamar Jackson. That is absolutely legitimate, right? Ben Roethlisberger, Jacoby Brissett, Teddy Bridgewater, Jalen Hurts, okay, Dak Prescott, but again, a weird game uh, in Dallas. Uh, And again, Nick Mullins, Drew Locke, and Carson Wentz. So I can't even look at the defense and say, oh, yeah, absolutely with the defense because (laughs) what has the defense done against good quarterbacks? Against the Chargers and Justin Herbert, they gave up 28. Against Patrick Mahomes, they have given up a total of 89. And against Joe Burrow, they gave up 32. So there's a reason that they have the same record as the Chargers, and yet they have scored 103 less points than them. Is, and, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. I was no, just no, going to say, is Carson Wentz the third best quarterback they've beaten? I don't think it's all that close. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I, I, Lamar, Dak, and then what, what would it be? Carson maybe Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts? J- okay. I, I mean, right now, uh, you know, cover your ears, Philly fans. Would you take Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz? You'd absolutely take Jalen Hurts. So I, you know, that, that's what you have to look at with that part. All right. Now, in terms of the point differential, do we have to take the Chiefs games with a grain of salt? Like, do we have to pull the fact that they lost those games by a combined 66 points out of the point differential in some way? Kind of, but like even the Broncos have played the Chiefs twice and the Broncos still have a positive point differential on the year. Yeah, they do. They do. It's very, very difficult to understand. And yet, you know, all right, so let me ask you this. Do you think this is a version of what we saw with Jack Del Rio's Raiders team that won 12 games, right? Do you think that somehow we're seeing this team just ending up on the right side of close games enough? Well, and because so yeah, that, go ahead. that's what I'm fascinated by, because this is not the first time in the last five years that we have seen the Raiders overperform point differential, overperform DVOA, whatever you want to put in there. That Jack Del Rio team that won 12 games, uh, was it John Gruden's second season where they had one of the worst point differences in the AFC? And granted, they didn't make the playoffs, but they were still right around 500. Like, we have seen this now three times in like five years where the Raiders, you look at it and you say, everything about them says that this is like a five-win team, but they've got nine. Or that 12-win team should have been like a seven or eight-win team, right? Like, this is three times in five years where this organization with new coaches and new players besides Derek Carr, new players has been a better than what they should be based on pretty much every statistic that we have. And it's just bizarre because I'm the one who's like, all right, this is all going to come crashing down eventually. And it, it, they keep winning close games. They continue to be really good in close games. But in a way, didn't it come crashing down? This team was five and two, right? <laughs> I mean, like, yes. From that standpoint. Yes, it did. Okay. That being said, all right, so we can go back and look at the last few years for this team, and you also get the other side of this, right? Because didn't we just have John Gruden talking about how, yep, after they go in and they get that miracle against Denver at the end of the year last year, yep, we won more games than we did last year. Cool, I guess, because 
that was the first time under John Gruden that they didn't have a losing record. So right now, what this has all led to, with the exception of that 12-14, and 14, what this has all led to, and we'll find out next week if it means a playoff berth for this team, but what it has led to for the Raiders is mediocre. It's been terrible because you're in NFL purgatory. You're not going to the playoffs and winning. You're not getting a good draft pick. You're just stuck. You want to talk about that point differential and outperforming it? Do you know just how bad it's been for the Raiders the last few years? 2017, for last year, Jack Del Rio, minus 72. Then under Gruden, minus 177, minus 106. Last year, minus 44, but who cares? They finished 8-8, eight and eight, and as you mentioned, <laughs> minus 68 this year. Okay. I... So if we let's take the long-term view here. Obviously, the Raiders want to make the playoffs. They've done it once in the last 17 seasons. They want to make the playoffs. It's, a, it's an organization that just wants something to hold on to that's more than just we won more games than last year. But if I told you over the next five years that if the Raiders make the playoffs, they are going to basically hold on to what they have in this roster and try to just push forward and make a few changes to get a little bit better... Is it better if they miss the playoffs so they have a better chance of actually blowing this up and trying to rebuild a roster that could actually win a Super Bowl in the next few years? Oh, God. Here we go. Here we go. You led here me go. here. You, you, you led me I here. I did. I did. I actually walked you right down this road, and I don't feel terrible about it. Uh, because when we really dive in, this is the theory that you and I spend so much time on. We spend so much time saying you're either winning the Super Bowl or you're tanking, and if you're in between then what's the point? Um, I guess maybe in the NFL where there is so much parity and you can have a team like my Giants from a few years ago that goes eight and eight or nine and seven and goes to the playoffs and makes a run. And you say, cool, we won a Super Bowl. And you're like, you were nine and seven. You came back the next year. You were terrible. So do you look at this roster, Tyler, and say to yourself, we got to keep this together, right? We got to try this again next year because the guys that they've talked so much about that have made most of the difference like look at a Casey Hayward look at a Denzel Perryman you got lucky which is not a bad thing right it's not bad at all you took flyers on veteran guys who gave you upside that's awesome we've waited for that from the John Gruden <laughs> and Mike Mayock era because there hasn't been a lot of it but at the same time you still have the Alex Leatherwoods of the world here that you don't really want to try to build around. So I think this Raiders team, Tyler, this Raiders team should make the playoffs. This Raiders team to help wash away the stench of John Gruden and Henry Ruggs. This Raiders team should make the playoffs and give this fan base something to feel good about. Yeah, and to me, the main concern is that Mike Mayock, if he's still around, or Mark Davis, maybe I should take it to Mark Davis, this team makes the playoffs, even if they lose in the first game. This team makes the playoffs. The thought process of the entire organization is be we're close, when in reality, they're not close. Like, that to me is the concern long-term for the Raiders. Is if they make the playoffs, they're going to think they're close. And there's a much better chance they try to keep everything together and to just get a little bit better next year if they make the playoffs. If they miss the playoffs, they might keep that same mindset because they've done that for quite a few years now. But... I think if they miss the playoffs, there's at least a better chance that the Raiders have some realization, some recognition of, hey, we're nowhere close to a Super Bowl. We need to go through some sort of rebuild. Otherwise, 
they're going to be stuck in a, you know, the bottom is six wins, the top is 10 wins, and that's as good as it gets for this organization. Oh, oh, you think they will? You think that reckoning is coming to this organization <laughs> of all organizations? Mark Davis would have gone on with John Gruden winning eight or nine games all the way to the end of that contract. He would have told himself that his boy, his hand-picked guy, who he still doesn't want to have had to get rid of, he would have told himself forever that they were just a couple of breaks away. And they're going to keep doing that because this is not an organization that is commitment to excellence anymore. It's commitment to maybe. Okay. I do have one last thing on the Raiders and Colts here before we go to break that I am very excited about the Raiders doing. Jonathan Taylor rushed for 100 yards and the Colts lost. So oh, my we, God. We no longer have to see the Colts are 8-0 when Jonathan Taylor runs for 100 yards and 0-6 when he's under 100 yards because I hate that stat. Featuring Adam Candy. Good timing with that featuring, Jared. Antonio Brown, you heard him last week uh, saying he was just, just here for football. Media likes to talk about drama. Create drama. Well, Antonio Brown's no longer a Buccaneer. Uh, in the middle of their game against the Jets on Sunday, he took off his jersey and shoulder pads, then his undershirt, threw that in the crowd, and walked off the field shirtless while trying to pump up the Jets crowd. I guess there are probably a lot of Buccaneers fans there. Um, and he's no longer a Buccaneer. Apparently, he and Bruce Arians and the coaching staff were arguing over whether or not he was going to go back into the game. Uh, he was saying he didn't want to go back into the game and Bruce Arians eventually told him then get out of here. So Antonio Brown took everything off and left. Uh, I think it was Jay Glazer afterwards that had the report that he tried to get an Uber on his own and ultimately had to be escorted out by a police officer because he couldn't get an Uber from wherever he was. Um, I find this funny simply because Bruce Arians at one point took the line of one more strike from Antonio Brown and he's out of here. Then he gets suspended for a fake vaccination card. And because the Buccaneers didn't have very many wide receivers ready to go last week, Bruce Aarons is like, you know what? That's not too bad. We'll bring him back for one more shot. And it blew up in his face two weeks later. Where do we even start with Antonio <laughs> Brown? We start at the end because it is the end for Antonio Brown. But the one thing we've been very confident in all along is saying Antonio Brown will get another chance, right? Because all the stuff that happened was kind of crazy. The helmet, the feet, right? Like all the stuff that went on was something that you could say, ah, it's kind of weird. It's a little quirky, uh, but God, look at the talent, right? And Antonio Brown was the second highest graded player by pro football focus on the Bucks roster this year, period. Second only to Tom Brady. But now he went and did the football sin. And once you do the football sin, you're not coming back from the football sin. So Antonio Brown has been paid a grand total of $88 million in his career. He doesn't need any of this, right? He doesn't need a moment of this. So he can walk away. And Tyler, let me ask you this. Since I think you covered the Bruce Arians part pretty well, right? The hypocrisy is what it is. Wouldn't you do the same if you had the chance? If someone said to you, that's it, you're done. <laughs> would you quietly slink away and let everyone wonder what happened? 
or if you decided this was the end, like the end end after 11 years in the league, wouldn't you just say to yourself, it's about me? Because that's what Antonio Brown's always done. It's about him, but you do it in the biggest possible way. That much, I actually respect. So, like, I, I, I do. If I if I get like an email saying that I'm, you know, fired from this show, am I just walking out the door right now, or am I yelling into the microphone until somebody drags me out? That'd be a lot of fun. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I, I I, may, I said, you know, he's he's been paid eighty million. I might, yes, I might need I might need to that. be a little later in my yeah. career. Yeah, you might need to be a little bit farther <laughs> along the road before you do this. The guaranteed money isn't quite uh, as much as that. But um, if you received an email that said you were fired and you decided what is my legacy going to be, uh, Antonio Brown's legacy now includes quitting in the most amazing way, right? He walked off in the middle of the game. <laughs> Again, I, I, I have no respect for it personally as a choice that I would have made. But at the same time, do I dream of a boss telling me to get out and me saying deuces and walking out mid-game through the field? Yes, of course I do. All I want is if Tyler gets fired is that, okay, hold on, let me turn off the delay. Let's go scorched earth. What, are you coming with me? I mean, I'm on my last list. Oh my God, are you are you kidding? He's the most Renee Zellweger from Jerry Maguire character we've ever seen. Who's coming with me? And it's Jared and the Fish. <laughs> I don't get your reference, but I think I understand. Who's Renee Zellweger? Okay, she's the okay. Uh, she's the mechanic's boyfriend, the guy who's on the Discovery Channel. Girlfriend, sorry. Who the hell is the mechanic? He was married to the. Did you just try to make another reference within a reference I didn't understand? Yeah, he was. Uh, of course. He was formerly married to the lady from Flipper Flop. Yeah, I know what that is. Um, Adam, I think the best point you made though is that Antonio Brown, this this was a football sin. Like he he's done a lot of embarrassing things or things to embarrass his coaches, in just since he left the Steelers. I mean, he probably did some with the Steelers too, but we didn't know quite as much until he was with the Raiders. But a lot of it was weird stuff or off the field stuff that the NFL regularly looks past. But it is interesting that it is that it's the football sin. Like it's that it's when he was at the Raiders, it was him yelling at the general manager in the locker room. Like it's the, the football sin, not anything else, even if it's relatively, I mean, compared to what Antonio Brown's done, refusing to go into a football games, pretty low on the list of bad things that he's done or punishable things that he's done. But because it was during a football game, because it was his availability to his football team at that moment, that's what's deemed as the last straw. That's what's deemed as bad. Not a fake vaccination card, not, you know, reports of sexual assault, not report, not him throwing furniture off a balcony, not him not paying his former personal chef. Like it's the, hey, I'm not going to play football for the next hour or so is what Bruce Arian says. You know what? That's enough. That's that's what I can't handle. Well, you don't commit biblical sins on a Sunday. And the biblical sin that he committed was quitting in front of everyone, right? He quit on the team. He quit on the team. And, you know, the, the Ian Rappaport story says that Antonio Brown believed he was still hurt, that he wasn't going back in because he believed he was still injured, um, which is interesting to suit up if you believe that you're injured to the point that you can't play. But the thing about the biblical sin... 
all of the other things that you just mentioned that Antonio Brown did, I guarantee you that either a player, a coach, or a front office person looked at his own past and thought to himself, but if anybody knew what I'd done, oh boy, uh-oh. But now you look at the situation with quitting in, in the middle of the game and arr, 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 the team. <laughs> you left the team. How could you leave the team in the middle of the game? Well, no. I mean, he he did what anybody with FU money does. He said FU. All right. we I got a question on Twitter from Tomb Raider here who asked, is Sunday the biggest game the Raiders have played in over 20 years? The answer to that is no. They played in the Super Bowl. 19 years ago but if we go from that point forward I think that Sunday against the Chargers bigger than their even their playoff game the one playoff game they played simply because they had to start kind of cooking that game because Carr got hurt so I think like this game is bigger than the one playoff game they have played in the last 18 years right how dare you what to Connor Cook what it's Connor Cook be kind to Connor Cook uh, yeah, it's by far the biggest game that they've played because this is one where everybody knows the stakes, right? Like a playoff game with Connor Cook, there are no stakes. <laughs> Everyone knows the stakes of this game. Although I have to say my favorite conspiracy theory, and I know you've seen this, that's out there right now. We need desperately for the Jacksonville Jaguars to go out on top this year. No, we don't. No. Yes. No. You know why? You know why, right? No. What does that do? That makes it that makes Sunday night football less fun. Oh no, no. It makes it the most fun. Because if the Jaguars win, you know how the Raiders and the Chargers can both get into the playoffs? Oh, with a tie? Yep. Oh, that would be fun. And what if there were some sort of backroom handshake between the two teams that fought desperately to get into SoFi Stadium for them both to end up in the playoffs? What if there were a little backroom deal between Davis and Spanos to say, well, why should either of us miss the playoffs? And we end in a 0-0 tie. Three kneels and a punt every single time. Oh. I would watch Roger Goodell's head explode with all of the popcorn. That would be great. Sunday night football and nobody attempts to even run a play. That'd be fun. Let's go Jaguars. <laughs> Coming up next, Nick Raboni from UNLV Hockey joins the show. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Joining us now, associate head coach with the UNLV men's ice hockey team, Nick Raboni. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Good morning, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, you guys made an announcement over the weekend. Next year, you guys are going to take on Alaska Anchorage, who is going to be a Division One hockey team next year. So, help me out here a little bit. Why is it a big deal for you guys? Because UNLV hockey is a club hockey level. Why is it a big deal simply to play a Division One team? I think any time you have a, a quote-unquote club team being able to play up to play an NCAA opponent, uh, I think that's a huge deal. I mean, it's the first time um, for our program and not many teams across the country have ever been able to do that. I think maybe only a handful, um, you know, before Arizona State moved on from ACHA hockey to NCAA Division One, They went to Penn State um, when Penn State first made the jump, and they actually beat them once, and uh, that kind of propelled their, their program. And uh, having Justin Emerson ask the question to Ray Anderson about, um, you know, elevating club hockey at ASU and, you know, the rest is history there. 
Um, so I think that's a, it's a big step for our program, not only to be able to play them just once, but to be able to play them three times, twice in Alaska and once in Las Vegas. I think that's a pretty cool event for our program. Have you been to Alaska before? You know what? I have not. And uh, we're going in October, so I think that's going to be a little bit better than November. But uh, <laughs> it's going uh, to be a different culture up there. How, how planned out is that trip already? Like, how long is the trip to Anchorage? We actually haven't purchased the flights yet, but after looking, I think it's about a seven-hour flight if we can get it direct. <laughs> Sounds fun. Sounds like a lot of yeah. fun to go up to, to yeah. Alaska Anchorage. You know? All right, so what I am curious about, because Alaska Anchorage, they they haven't actually played a Division One hockey game yet. They were going to be elevated, then they actually stopped playing. I think what they haven't played in two years, I think it is, because of the pandemic, and... They were going to drop hockey before they even got to the D1 level, but they had a fundraising and it ended up saving the program. I'm curious, is there anything that you at UNLV Hockey can like take or learn from Alaska Anchorage about their journey to becoming a Division One hockey team? So Alaska Anchorage has actually had uh, Division One hockey. Um, oh, so what okay. actually happened was is they, they were playing games up there for many, many years. They have a, a pretty strong history. Um, and then the the program unfortunately was cut by the university so the uh the head coach up there and some some big alumni they wanted to bring it back so they got some people involved and they had a huge fundraising effort and they were able to do so a little bit of help from the seattle kraken as well and um they brought the program back but unfortunately all the players that were there two years ago had transferred out and left so now they're rebuilding to become an ncaa program again next year so uh unfortunately you know they're they're fortunately for us they're looking to play a bit more of a hybrid schedule with ACHA teams and NCAA D1 teams. But with NCAA, you know, schedules are, are built well, well in advance. So that's kind of where, where they're struggling to gain opponent, opponents. But it's also fortunate for us to be able to, to um, get on their schedule. So you mentioned in there a little bit of help with this, from the Seattle Kraken. What could the Golden Knights do to help you guys in your quest to become a Division One team? I mean, they've done so much for us. But obviously, if we're going to look to make that next step, Money is a big factor, and I would say even facility is a big factor. I mean, there are plenty of places in town where we could play NCAA hockey games, including, you know, Dollar Loan Center. Uh, but I also think that a 2,500-seat arena is, is perfect for college hockey. Um, you know, I think that in the grand scheme of things, you'd love to see UNLV even collaborate with the Golden Knights, and maybe we can work to, to renovate the Cox Pavilion. I think that's a, a, a great venue for hockey if we uh, – there was some money that was put into it, not to mention can help out the Lady Rebels. Um, so I would say financially the biggest thing would be figuring out a, a place for us to play and then also, you know, money for Title IX travel and, and making that jump. Are there uh, arena requirements to be Division One? I? I don't believe so. Uh, currently Arizona State, I mean, is playing at a, um, a rink with, uh, with the capacities uh, within less than Sydney National Arena. Um, so as far as I know, um, it looks like Division One hockey games can be played uh, pretty much anywhere. So outside of arena, and you touched on some of them right there. Like if I, if you said right now, all right, UNLV hockey, you guys can be Division One, but what do you need? Like what are the next steps for UNLV to actually reach that goal? I would say that starting a, a campaign to raise money. I mean, the biggest thing is is we would need fifteen million dollars um, to to finance the the program and endow it probably for for five years. Um, and that would include everything from travel, scholarships for both men's and a women's sport, um, whether it be you know women's water polo, women's lacrosse, um, several options there. And, um, and then obviously all the other financial constraints that come with it. 
Um, but I think that that would be our number. And I think, um, you know, speaking with, with UNLV, uh, UNLV's athletic director would be our next step. I think, uh, you know, Coach Greener and I were waiting to see what, what they were going to do, and it looks like Eric's going to be the guy. And, um, you know, I think he's going to do a phenomenal job with it and, you know, potentially sitting down and, and talking about bringing on another, you know, revenue-generating sport could be an option. Uh, maybe that, that breathes some life into the, uh, the athletic department. Have you, Eric Harper's been the interim uh, for the entirety of the fall, and the Review Journal reported yesterday that they're going to make him the full-time AD. Have you talked to him yet? I have not talked to Eric. Um, I know Coach Greener has um, talked to him a little bit, not necessarily about the program, but just more on a personal level. Um, but I'm definitely eager to, uh, to see his vision with UNLV Athletics and um, you know, possibly see where we fit in there. Do you have any idea if he'd be more receptive than Desiree Reed Francois was to helping add UNLV hockey? You know, Desiree was a big advocate for us. Um, I mean, obviously she had her hands full with football and basketball and making some changes with those programs. I know she really wanted to uh, to see those through. And, um, you know, fortunately for her, she, she moved on for uh, a different position. And um, I, uh, I don't know if Eric's going to be more or less but I can say that we'd still love to have the conversation with him. Nick Ravoni with us from UNLV Hockey. All right, when's the last time you guys lost? Was that Halloween, before Halloween? It's, it's been a little while, before Halloween, 12 straight. And, you know, big games coming up January 14th and 15th at City National versus Jamestown. So we're excited to get back to it. Yeah, so there it is. January 14th and 15th, you guys play at Jamestown. It was October 22nd, the last time you guys lost a game to Arizona. So UNLV Hockey on a winning streak right now. Nick Ravoni, associate head coach from the UNLV hockey team with us. Uh, one last thing for you, Nick. Um, if you're planning to go to Alaska there, do you have clothes that you think you're ready to actually be in Alaska wearing? God, no. We, uh, it's time to hit the outlet. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'll hit the North Face store first and, and find all the warmest gear I can get. Well, he is Nick Ravoni. Nick, as always, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So there's Nick Raboni from UNLV Hockey again. The next home games, January 14th and 15th out at City National Arena. We'll see if they are able to pull off uh, a, a good end of this season, but also that climb potentially to Division I hockey. Now, I do want to go back to the NFL because one of the uh, more fun games of the weekend, the Bengals beat the Chiefs 34-31. to The Bengals clinched the AFC North with that win, also knocked the Chiefs from the top spot in the AFC. And Joe Burrow threw for 446 yards, four touchdowns. Jamar Case had 11 catches for 266 yards. Uh, Pro Football Focus has Joe Burrow as the number one quarterback in the league this year. Adam, how good is Joe Burrow? He's a number one pick. He's a guy who we knew throughout his entire final season at LSU was the guy. And he's performing like the guy. The problem is we have guys like Trevor Lawrence out there who have been so bad that we've lost the idea of what it means to be a consensus number one overall pick. And that's what you've gotten from Joe Burrow, especially coming back off the catastrophic injury that he had that ended last season. So Joe Burrow yesterday made the kind of statement. And I hate that word, but it's true statement. this time. He made the statement yesterday about where this Bengals team can be in the playoffs because when they can overcome the biggest obstacle they have their own head coach 
they're a really good team. <laughs> Once they can get Zach Taylor and his love of the run game out of the way and let Joe Burrow do what he did, throw it 39 times for 446 yards, then they're as dangerous as anyone. And one thing to add to that, by the way, Tyler, before I let this back to you. Chiefs scored three points in the second half yesterday. Stop it with the Chiefs being back. Oh. I've heard it from oh. too many people that I trust. Oh. I've heard it from way too many people. Stop it. No wow. turnovers, and they scored three points in the second half yesterday. I'm done with it. I'm done with Patrick Mahomes throwing for 259 yards and everybody saying, they're back. Oh, they figured it out. They are not the dominant team that everyone wants to make them out to be this year, and this game showed it. Are you going to be yelling that when they're playing in the Super Bowl? They might well make the Super Bowl, Tyler, but everybody (laughs) – we're doing to the Chiefs what we did to Tiger Woods. We want them to be what we remember, and they're not, and he wasn't. (laughs) Okay, back on the Bengals because I do want to ask you long-term. You think they're going to be really good for a handful of years now with Joe Burrow as their quarterback? They have the pieces in place that you have to have, and now you can go and try to add the rest, right? You've got the quarterback. You have multiple weapons. You have a running back where when you decide you need a running back, which should be less often than the Bengals do, is really good. You've upgraded the defense in terms of the defensive line, so now you can go out and do what you need to do. Now, everybody who was yelling about Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase, and for the record, I didn't really have a strong feeling on that. Everybody was yelling about Panay Sewell. They can go out and get a lineman this year. And they can go out and help that secondary, which actually hasn't been terrible, a little bit more in this offseason. But they've got the pieces you have to have. Okay. It worked out very well for them. Uh, Their end of game going forward on fourth and goal from the one-yard line, simply because they have ended up getting a defensive penalty on the Chiefs. But they had a tie game, 58 seconds left, no timeouts left for Kansas City, fourth and goal from the one Do you think they should have kicked the field goal or should they have been trying to score the touchdown there? It would be pretty disingenuous for me to say what I just did about the Chiefs and say, oh, no, they had to go for it. You know, because the Chiefs on the other end, Patrick Mahomes. They're back. Yeah, they're back. Kick the field goal, man. Kick the field goal, especially in that weather outdoors. Like, kick the field goal and move on. But again, like I said, they have to overcome the biggest handicap they have, which is Zach Taylor. Uh, I maybe you can help me out of the uh, models on Twitter that tweet out sort of win probability. They all did they all have field goal in that scenario? I was not doing uh, a close evaluation of that at that point because I was actually on the air. Uh, but um, I, I would have to think that the models are going to be pretty agnostic in that spot, right? The, the models I would assume are probably going to be within a couple of points of win probability because it's so likely that Cincinnati is going to win that game. Yeah, I, I think almost all of them. I know the ESPN one had them had field goal was the right choice there for Cincinnati, which is, you know, interesting given that most of the critics of analytics say that, oh, they just say to go for it every time when in reality, uh, the Bengals probably went against the actual analytical decision there. But... I love them going for it just because it's more fun. Like if I throw away the idea of what's like the right decision, I love them going for it because it's way more fun for them to go for it. Because if they get it, yeah, cool. He scored a touchdown. If you don't, now I get to watch Patrick Mahomes, who you don't think is back, go 99 yards to win the game. Oh, I don't think that the entire offense is back, but let's say this much uh, about Joe Burrow. Uh, What we've heard about the Chiefs being back is that, well, maybe the offense isn't quite what it was, but the defense, oh, the defense. (laughs) 
446 yards, and Jamar Chase on that first touchdown ran literally through five guys who stood there and watched him like, huh, I want to get a look at this guy. He's pretty good. Hey, 446 is like 75 less than Burrow throw for last week. So that's a good day it, for a defense. Well, hey, it is, uh, it is in NFL history the single most yards in a two-game stretch by a quarterback that have ever happened. Of course, a lot of those yards after catch, but nonetheless impressive. All right, coming up next... We had some massive news. What What's happening to Bill Lambeer? The Aces going to win a title with Becky Hammond? Well, I'm just happy everybody's safe from it. I'm happy everybody's safe from it. Um, that's crazy. That's crazy stuff right there. That was a real dangerous situation. I'm just so happy um, everybody bounced back from it. It seemed like it. Passion of the Eagles fans. I love it. Coming up later in the show, we are going to have some Golden Knights tickets to give away, so stay tuned for that. Adam Candy is in for Ed Graney today, and we had some big WNBA news for our Las Vegas Aces. Becky Hammond is going to be their head coach for next season. They hired Becky Hammond, made that announcement over the weekend. This is despite the fact that they did not have a head coach opening. Bill Lambeer was still the head coach until they made that announcement. And so, Adam, I know we don't know the answer to this question, but what I'm curious, and, and I don't know if we'll find out exactly, but what I'm curious about is who initiated this? Like, whose decision was it to, yes, we have Bill Lambeer, but we are going to go get Becky Hammond. You have Mark Davis, who is the new owner of the team. You have Nikki Fargus, who's the team president. And you also have Bill Lambeer, who's been basically the GM slash head coach, even though they did have a GM who left. But, like, I'm fascinated to know, like, was this a Bill Lambeer decision? Was this a Mark Davis chasing after Becky Hammond saying, ooh, I like that, I want that? Like, I'm very fascinated why they decided to go after Becky Hammond when they had a head coach already in place. So, crazy story. Um, Becky Hammond was at P.F. Chang's. Not kidding. Um, so we're never going to know the answer to that, right? right. We're never going to know for, for sure. But what we do have is the history of Mark Davis spending six years, according to him, chasing after John Gruden and firing Jack Del Rio. I'm sorry, making Jack Del Rio fire himself uh, to let John Gruden become the head coach. So I guess if we're going to use a little bit of logic, we would have to say Mark Davis uh, has a history of doing this sort of thing. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating because like we've had Bill Lambeer on this show, and Bill Lambeer has said to the effect a couple of times that Mark Davis has you know let him do whatever he thinks is best for the organization. Like Bill Lambeer had that John Gruden type of control. So I, I again, it's, it's just fascinating to me because the other part of this um, hiring of Becky Hammond is there's no real defined role for Bill Lambeer. Their, their release said he's going to stay with the team at least through the offseason because Becky Hammond is still, she's still with the Spurs. She's still an assistant with the Spurs. She's not coming until their season is over, which will end before the Aces' regular season starts. But the offseason is here, and the Aces have four players under contract, and Asia Wilson's a restricted free agent. Like, they're going to have to do a lot with this roster just to be ready to play in the regular season, and that's apparently where for at least the next few months, Bill Lambeer is going to have a role in this organization. But then after that, it's it's very unclear whether he's staying around. They don't have a GM at the moment. So I, I'm it's it's just fascinating because Lambeer is such a, not just with the Aces, but in the WNBA as a whole, such a powerful figure. And if it was maybe part of his decision, I could understand it, but the Aces just kind of cast him aside. 
Well, they need somebody to still sign the contracts and flip the light switches on and off until Becky Hammond gets here. And it kind of feels like that's what the role is going to be for Bill and Beer. I guess the question for me is, Tyler, so now we talk about the free agency side and the fact that the Aces are trying to either keep or remake this roster that has had so many high hopes and come up short. Uh, was the whole purpose of the timing of this to send the signal to this roster and free agents through the rest of the league, hey, we're going to be doing things differently. You are not going to be spending all of your time dumping the ball to Liz Cambage and Asia Wilson in the post. <laughs> that And that's where Bill Lambeer having some roster control, control might be too strong of a word depending on the situation here, is again interesting because I think my biggest criticism of the Aces and I think one of the biggest reasons they haven't won a WNBA title the last three years is because Bill Lambeer has been trying to play 1980s basketball. He's been building from the inside out to a point where did Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage pair well together? Not really. Their on-off numbers suggested they were much better when they were split up than when they were together, but those were their two best players. So I'm curious to see what kind of roster they do put together because Asia Wilson is the type of player you absolutely can build a championship contender around, but I think you need more complementary pieces than... Liz Cambage around her. Now, Liz Cambage is an unrestricted free agent. I'd be surprised if the Aces brought her back because a lot of those reasons I just said. But it is certainly like you have Liz Cambage in place. Kelsey Plum, Chelsea Gray, Jackie Young, and De'Erica Hamby are under contract. You need to sign a couple other big-name players, and I'm fascinated to see, does Lambeer still have actual control over who they sign? Because if so, I don't know that there's a lot like Hammond's going to be able to actually change for this team but I'm excited like she's going to be the highest paid coach in the WNBA according to Sham Shardia it's a five-year deal like I think this is a genuinely exciting time because we're going to find out hey Becky Hammond head coach WNBA team immediate expectations like can you win a WNBA title because you're going to have those expectations with Asia Wilson I think it's be a lot of fun like this is one of the most fun organizations we have in Las Vegas because they're contenders every year